Hello, I am Colin Baker, otherwise known as the sixth incarnation of the Doctor. And you, you lucky people, are listening to Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Keep listening, it's fun. This is the one with Gogglebox. The Alan's who waited. Cyber Ghost Dad. A pod from space. A space pod. And no vaccines with microchips. It's called the Reaping. Here, Here we, we go. Reviewing stuff for Rebels too, because we love our Doctor Who. Cultish robots are no bore. Opposing prison, why not sure? The robot haven and like Paul. Orbis Phobos, pretty cool. Now and then and here and there. We'll follow Doc 8 everywhere. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Audiobook by audiobook. Even those that are gobbledygook. We'll review them all, you see. So join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, podcast land. No, I'm already giving up. I can't do the accent. Welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Or Duck Past. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Perry. (laughs) Today, oh my golly goodness, uh, your earballs in for a treat. Before we get into that, I am Leon and I have the esteemed pleasure of gazing across the ether upon the visage of my uh, fabulous co-host, Drew. Hello, Drew. Well, hello, Leon. What a wonderful trap you've laid for me so that I can talk to you tonight. It's going to be voices galore tonight, I have a feeling, because tonight we are talking about The Reaping. It's an audio adventure. In fact, part two in a loose trilogy of audio adventures comprising The Harvest, which we reviewed last time, then this, The Reaping, duh, and then The Gathering, which we'll review in our next audio episode. Drew! High level. High level, comparing this in particular to its predecessor, The Harvest, how do you feel about The Reaping? I feel like we should raise the field to the ground and start again. (laughs) Maybe next year we'll yield a a decent crop. Amazing. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) I think we are on the same page with this one. I look forward to... Discussing, dissecting, (laughs) deconstructing this audiobook with you tonight. That is not to say that there aren't lots of things that I liked about it and moments of real quality. Oh, absolutely. We'll absolutely get into it. There are a few things in particular that just stand out, both on the acting and on the production side of things. Very impressive. Anywho, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this episode, how about we summarise it for those people in podcast land who may not be as familiar with his audio story in a little bisco. Let's! Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Randomly stumbling upon a news piece on the untimely demise of a long-lost loved one, Perpigillium Perry Brown, whose introduction to the universe was utterly spoiled in this audiobook, compels the Sixth Doctor to take her back to 1984's Baltimore, where no one speaks with an authentic accent, and the locals are gradually being body-snatched by some malevolent alien force. Perry's family isn't too fond to have her back, nor are her so-called friends, whose social calendars can surely only suffer from her sudden return. Oh, if only Perry could impress them by knowing everything about aliens and helping to save the day. 
But not so fast, Buster, because first she has to assume nothing spacey-wacy is afoot, so the Doctor's alien, I mean, clearly American coat, can naturally blend into the surroundings. B-Scout over. You are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? Are they just? Well, this is what they get, okay? And if it's on your plate, you're going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you like to start? Why don't you serve me up a nice, tasty question first up? Let's get this out of the way, because there are a few things that we absolutely need to talk to, but before we get it, let's, let's address the elephant in the room. I want your finest interrogative hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> and you shall have it! <laughs> why, oh why, couldn't this be set in Slough? Or Greater London? Or even Ilfracombe? I don't care. Because then Perry's accent would be ludicrously out of place. No. So here's my assumption, okay? I, I, I say no as though I know my shit. I don't. But here's my assumption. We're probably going to encounter Perry very soon in the Classic Who channel on Who Back When. Very yeah, soon. You, you forestalled my opening question, which was, have you met Perry yet? Ah, okay. Well, let's put a pin in that and talk about that in a second. My assumption is that she is less annoying when she is the only person on screen delivering a terrible faux American accent. But... The fact that this was not set in, you know, Slough or London or wherever means that everyone has a dreadful faux American accent. And yikes caramba, it took me out of it a lot. Are you saying that even the actress who played Janine has a terrible faux American accent? Is she actually American? I don't actually remember who Janine is. Who's Janine? Janine is mom in my notes. She is Perry's mother. Oh, okay. She was played by Claudia Christian, born in Glendale, California, USA. She was Commander Susan Ivanova on Babylon 5. (gasps) Oh my god, wait, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, everyone. (laughs) Right, Drew, we're going to have to call a timeout because I have never been this aroused in my life. (laughs) That is, wow. I love Babylon 5 and I had such a crush on her (laughs) when I was a kid. Wow. Authentic American accent. Wow, that's that's amazing. I did not recognize her voice at all. But please, confirm this for me. Yeah. Most of the people playing Americans in this audio adventure are not actually Americans, right? Well, yes. Let's move sideways into who plays Nate. Okay. Nate was played by Jeremy Lindsay Taylor. Now, I went looking for him, first of all, on the Big Finish website, and he had the classic Jake McGann signature. Of, oh no. Of a credit in this episode only. <laughs> and I assumed that surely whoever Jeremy Lindsay Taylor was, he had a relative in the company and zero other acting experience to right. date. Okay. Boy, was I wrong. Oh, okay. This guy has been acting mostly in Australia on Australian television. He has been a fixture there since the 90s. He was in his 30s when he recorded this. This guy has decades of acting experience. And yet, I think he may have supplanted Jake McGann as the least infusing tone we've heard to date. I see what you're saying. I think there were myriad people in this audio adventure who delivered terribly nonplussed, enthusiastic, ineffectual voice work. Well, go on, before I lose all my friends in the industry, why don't you name some for me? Literally everyone who had been cybered. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Literally, yes, but I, I don't want to encroach on the, the few bullet points I've made for my mini at the end. 
But I, I don't think that that was... Oh, they're, we're jumping all over the place. I don't think that that particular part of the production was handled particularly well. Oh. The reason for it being that they spoke at such a slow pace... It was almost debilitating to my ears and psyche listening to every single one of those bits. I understand that it is deliberately neutral, but when something is neutral, it is by definition less interesting and consequently, I don't necessarily want to hear it forever. And it felt like I was listening to it forever. There was a lot of repetition. There were at least two entirely superfluous scenes with the newsreader late on where you want the tension nice and high and kept at a fever pitch. And they threw them back in, presumably to give a, a sense of the bigger context being under threat. But I, I completely agree with you. All it did was slow everything down. And, and there was nothing new or original to anything they said. It was just, you have nothing to fear. Go home. And <laughs> yeah, except Podcastland is not going to hear all the pauses between words that you just had because I will automatically truncate them. Whereas they were deliberately adding them in in this audio adventure. I dropped a pin in something you said very early on. Perry. Have we encountered Perry before? I don't know. That's my opening question. We have not. But she said, well, two things are spoiled for me not having seen these episodes and just about to, you know, just about to on Who Back When. One being how she's introduced to this and the other one being how the fifth doctor regenerates into the sixth doctor. In order to save her because there's only one dose of antidote for poison they've both taken or something. Yeah. So when we get to an episode, well, I mean, I, I probably will know when the episode comes around, but the second someone talks about some kind of disease, it's like, yep. There you go. <laughs> in the, in the, the caves of Androzani. That's the one. So the other thing being how she arrives or when she arrives, that she's almost drowning and that she is rescued by Turlow. Turlow is currently where we're at in the classic channel of Who Back When. Yeah. is a companion of the Doctor's. And so Turlow is going to rescue her. She's going to be traveling alongside Turlow. There's, there's no mention of Tegan at this point. There's uh, no mention of Chameleon either, but there's mention of Turlow. So I'm assuming that Tegan will leave she will appear, take Tegan's place in a sense, and then continue through the regeneration and then Turlough will leave. Yeah, because what I didn't understand is that Nicola Bryant, who plays Perry, is an original fifth and sixth mm-hmm. Doctor companion from 1984 to 1986. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. you will have two years worth of her to wade through. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> Do you know what else she did? What has she done? She was Millicent in Blackadder's Christmas Carol, and though I can't place the name, I can guess the role. Do tell. Do you remember when Edmund is good in the first part of the episode, and in comes this screeching, shrill young lady in an enormous bonnet, and she proceeds to bilk him out of whatever, maybe it's a nice little plum pudding he's holding or something. I'm Google image searching it now. Yep, there she is. (laughs) And yes, that's her. (laughs) Pretty sure. Amazing. My first note is, there's an opening segment which sounds like someone dialing up and down radio channels that settles on an announcement that the Soviet Union won't be taking part in the LA Olympics. My note was, I would boycott the Olympics too if it meant I didn't have to hang out with this voice. (laughs) Amazing. I loved it. I made a note of that little segment, the, the little switching back and forth, not just across radio channels, but across history. And the reason I did so was because it does in a much better way. Do you remember in Strange Readings, the audiobook that we have yet to fully record and produce? Uh-huh. Um, 
there's one bit where I said something like, oh, fast forward through, I don't know how many millennia or millions of years or something. That's this. That's the effect that I was after, but I couldn't picture it in my ear brain, what that would <laughs> sound like. And in this audiobook, I loved that segment. That was production-wise a stunning introduction to this audiobook because it just felt like they they were on the ball and they knew their stuff. Yeah, very it, nicely done, big, done, big finish. It was cool because they mixed history and fictional future history yeah. and referred back to the harvest nice and quickly with a mention of St. Gart's Hospital. Well spotted. Yep, and just, uh, I think there was a Princess Diana mention in there and it was just weaving fact and fiction so nice. seamlessly and suddenly you, you didn't know where we were going to go. It felt yeah, like... Yeah, it was, it was nicely done. Yeah, after that first minute you were like, oh wow, anything could happen. But it turns out that we were getting a glimpse of the goggle box perhaps. Or were we getting a glimpse of the cyber leader watching his own version of the goggle box and putting together the patterns that he says is the hidden order that undergirds the universe i think that's a fantastically good question and i don't think there is necessarily an answer i don't think that's the goggle box Oh, okay. Because we we get an example of the goggle box when Perry steps into it. The goggle box in the center of the moon, which is YouTube, essentially. Yeah, is <laughs> exactly. Or Amazon Web Services, probably somewhere <laughs> yeah. next to the yolk. Doctor Who needs to make up its mind what's going on with the moon. But she steps in, and it that also stood out to me as something so incredibly dumb. The way that it works. It just she picks a year, and I think maybe she says Baltimore, Baltimore, nineteen eighty four. But she doesn't specify a news outlet, a journalist, a subject matter. She doesn't give any granular taxonomical details. But the goggle box just keeps spouting headlines at her. So how does that work? Literally, just goes through them. What alphanumerically? How many articles or video, you know, clips? were produced in 1984 in Baltimore. Probably a shit ton. Well, that's why they need to store it in a moon-sized repository. (laughs) Yeah, but build a better search function. Yeah, yeah. No, If they were making that today, that part would assuredly be very different. I was annoyed, on my part, that it didn't start with, and Baltimore rings in the new year, and blah, blah. No, no, away from the first... First homicide occurs in downtown Baltimore, 1984, is turning into a year of blood. Cycle forward, cycle forward. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My other note, just Uh to finish the accents thing, is something that Abby said. Abby made an amazing point when I told her about this. How did your American wife respond to this? She didn't listen to it, but what she reminded me was that this was recorded in 2006, so they'd already had four years of The Wire at this point. Oh, to right. nail down their Baltimore accent references. <laughs> Nobody watched a single episode as far as we can tell. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, truth be told, I haven't seen The Wire either, but <laughs> sure. Isn't McNulty there famously a Brit? Well, so is Idris Elba. Or is yeah, it Idris, that Idris Elba was on there. I, mean, I, I need to watch The Wire, man. Yeah, admittedly, so do I. I'm speaking of a position of relative ignorance, and we've already miss... Uh, taken some genuine Americans for uh, non-Americans? Well, I certainly have, yeah. But oh maybe, my goodness, maybe... I'm still so excited by the fact that <laughs> Ivanova is, is in this audiobook. I already like it more. Ivanova okay. is amazing in Babylon 5. Watch Babylon 5. Have you not watched Babylon 5? Watch it. It's great. I'll watch Babylon 5 when you watch Red Dwarf. Okay, yeah. Deal. 
I've got another voice actor. Oh, an American. No way. Tell me who is this American voice actor? This American voice actor is Vincent Pirillo, who played a certain Daniel Woods, the vagrant suspected of Anthony Chambers' murder. Oh, right. Okay. Now, he was born in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. So definitely an American. He didn't sound that bad, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. However, there is one thing which I took exception to with Mr. Perillo and his performance and his miscasting. Yeah. He was meant to be playing who Mrs. Van Geisingham, who herself is surely well into her second century, identifies as a really old man. Yeah. He was at least 70, How according to he- her. He was 57 at the time of recording, but my point is, is that there's a scene where he says to Colin Baker, You're a most peculiar young man. And first of all, Colin Baker is six years older than him. Yeah. Because he was born in 1943. Nice. But he sounds, Colin Baker, at least 30 years older. How dare you? Yes, I thought the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely does. And that's yeah, not to his He sounds like discredit. present day Colin Baker is the thing, rather than television era. Colin Baker, Doctor Who television era, I mean. Yeah, and I'm not saying he sounds geriatric or decrepit or anything like that, but Vincent Perillo had a far more youthful voice And he was supposed to be a 70-year-old who'd sprinted across a swampy graveyard, running for his life after three months living out in the open, presumably skinny as a rake. Yeah, but if you're directing this uh, audio adventure, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off there, but if you're directing this audio adventure and you happen to have an actual, genuine, honest-to-God American on your cast playing an actual American, that's incredible. That's a resource you don't want to dilute by having him act too much. You're not going to tell him, can you sound like someone other than yourself? No, just sound like yourself, buddy. Just sound like yourself. No one else is. (laughs) Sound a bit out of breath. Sound like the ravages of age have had their wicked way Uh, with you. I mean, that's an interesting thing for you to say. Because can I transition into something else? Oh, please do. Before we most definitely need to talk about Colin Baker, because I want to talk about Colin Baker until the day I die. We should talk about Colin Baker. He's fun. the, The other thing that I was going to say, and this is the this is the other uh, sound bites that I'm going to send your way of um, something I'm not a huge fan of, or in reference to that rather. So of the, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how many episodes we've done. Let's say 380 episodes that we recorded. 387 counting amazing. this one. Amazing. So let's say I've edited 350 of them, and let's say at around the 50th one, I got serious about editing, and let's say that in every single one that followed, one massive pet peeve of mine that I've edited out are these massive loud breaths. Those horrendous wet ones in particular. The ones where you can practically hear the hairs on your lungs swaying with every syllable. And let's say I cut out or lowered the volume of 10 of those per minute. And on average, our episodes are maybe 90 minutes long. Well, that amounts to roughly 270,000 breaths that I've cleaned up or removed over the years. You did the maths! And now I know what happened to all of them. At least the ones that got cut. (laughs) Big Finish put them in this block the audiobook i hate breaths in audio with a passion i wanted oh, to man. murder myself i heard nothing like my ears were welling up with lung butter every time that someone was breathing 
heavily into the microphone. It grossed me out that I don't understand why no one on the production side took this out. In fact, it seems very much that they deliberately asked the actors to be breathy. The one I'm thinking of, the one that springs to mind is when Colin Baker is having his climactic confrontation with the cyber leader. And at one point, the cyber leader talks about, I think, uh, you were easy to trap because your emotion is a weakness. And Colin Baker, and that moment, goes... <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Lots of them. This I'm didn't assuming take place that in... the director is standing next to Colin Baker, or, you know, just outside the booth, looking at whomever is in the booth. I'm just going, more air, more air. Use your lungs. You act with your lungs. <laughs> no, don't turn away from the microphone. Just breathe into it. This isn't taking place in Baltimore County. It's Bronchiol County. <laughs> the one that I've made a note of the timestamp of is when Perry is hiding and eavesdropping on her friends. And the way that it oh. is signified in the audio adventure, in the audio drama, is by having her breathe into the microphone. And that that's it. Yeah. You don't need that. You, all you need is establish Perry is walking in somewhere and have her voices gradually get louder, but still, you know, keep them at a relative distance to make it clear that she's eavesdropping. Maybe even have her say, oh, I don't think they've noticed me or whatever. And then let's hear their conversation. We don't need to constantly hear her make noises such as these ones. Why is it I can talk to you two, but Perry, I know what you mean. You seem to be getting on fine. No, not really. I know how Perry works. She's always been the the cool one, never keen on saying how she feels. I just, well, I just acted like nothing had happened. But I know what you mean. Yeah, or even have no clues whatsoever. You start to wonder, wait a minute, they're just talking completely unguardedly in the house. Where the hell is Perry? Perry arrives and she's crying, and you know, oh, she heard the whole thing. Because yeah. that's the only explanation. Exa- exactly. Sure, don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about the marvel, the majesty that is Colin Baker? We must. There is no alternative. Were you converted? I love him. This is, I should say, my first <laughs> experience of the Sixth Doctor. Outside of the... Five-ish Doctors reboot. Yeah, not counting the Five-ish Doctors reboot, not counting the time that Colin Baker appeared in a Doctor Who episode playing someone other than the Doctor, and not counting the real-life moment in our lives when we met Colin Baker and he wrapped his wonderful arms around us. This is the first time that I've ever encountered him in the universe. Well, go on then, wax lyrical! (laughs) He was less... I I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him on TV, but he was less cynical and unpleasant than I have been led to believe that he is. Absolutely. And this is very conscious, surely. I expect because he's such a nice man that he will have wanted his big finish post-TV Doctor Who career to in some way serve as a rehabilitation of the character. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Freed from the constraints of needing to provide a contrast with lovable babyface Davison. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I found him phenomenal from the get-go. Him wanting to go to the ice caves of Shabadabadom and his very casual delivery of of Shabadabadom and, and all these other places around space and time, the way that most doctors 
at least on a couple of occasions, get to do. You know, they get to deliver the, oh, shall we not go to the ice mines of whatever, or the golden rainbow showers of uh, <laughs> Mount uh, uh, Zygmarorks, you know, whatever. You know, he gets to do that thing, and he delivers it so well. But at the same time, he's also just a teeny weeny bit unaffected by people. Like, he hears about a murder. He doesn't care at first. Love it. He. <laughs> oh, you mean it, when, when she stepped out of the yeah, when she steps out like, of the goggle box and uh, Perry steps out of the goggle box and is like, I just heard that someone died. He's like, oh, well, too bad. Well, he's already dead, so what's the point? Like, why should I care? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. He's fantastic. He does that again later on when Daniel Woods buys it. He's like, well, can't be, can't be helped. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. We've got to pretend to the matter at hand. Yeah, exactly. But then at the same time, he's able to deliver the the very heartfelt aspects of the Doctor. He he cares about mankind enough to not want to erase it from existence. <laughs> but the way that he does it is is really very Doctory and very like instantly warming to the chap. The, the way that he casually and under his breath berates the, I can't remember her name now, but the crazy lady for whom he pretends to be a secret agent in disguise. Mrs. Van Geisingham. That's the one. Loved it. I can't imagine the fifth Doctor doing that sort of thing. Oh, really? The fourth Doctor, probably, yes. But the fifth Doctor would be too nice to to be pissy about someone under his breath. <laughs> yeah. And Colin Baker delivers that with a plum. Uh, not wearing a hat, Colin Baker, if you're listening, but imagine I'm wearing a hat. Hats off, sir. Bravo. Yeah. Con- consider this a, a mutual doffage, Mr. Baker. <laughs> Now, he was great. I'll wait to hear more of him and see more of him. I mean, you won't get the perhaps the the range that he delivers here, but I did like you, really like how he could be pompous and arrogant and yet caring and comforting. And when he's faced with the choice or the imperative to erase humankind, he I mean, he talks about how the universe is supposed to be chaotic and disordered, and that's what life is. But he doesn't do where, and my mind goes to the 10th Doctor in this situation. The 10th Doctor launching an impassioned emotional speech about how humans are so bloody lovely. And it's like, no, he doesn't, doesn't touch on that area at all. It's it's a more a, a sense of of rectitude. Like, this is, this is just wrong, rather yeah. than my heart is breaking. Yes. It's it's just not the done thing. It's it, not the classy exactly. way of going about things. Is he going to be the doctor in the next audio adventure in uh, what's it called the the gathering? I believe we will get Davison for the gathering. Oh really? Oh, yes. fascinating. How that's going to all hang together as the capper to this trilogy, no idea. Because there was a lot of, frankly, annoying dropping of 86-87 in this episode, which relates purely to the fact that this, the Reaping, was number 86 of the main range. And oh, really? The Gathering will be number 87 of the main range. They were released simultaneously, or as near as makes no difference, in September 2006. Well, presumably it's going to tie in narratively as well. They'll have some wibbly-wobbly explanation of, uh, well, they've set the uh, telepathic transmogrifier to the 8687 frequency, and this is why people are dreaming this set of numbers, or there'll be some wibbly-wobbly explanation. For well, the reason 
I'm sceptical about it hanging together is because we're going backwards in terms of doctors. I agree with you, not because of the numbers, but because they say it's in your future. And Colin Baker doesn't want to know about it. But if this happens with the last doctor, wouldn't, wouldn't you be aware? Well, that and the fact that the seventh doctor deals with a completely different cyber foe. If you remember, he's patched up with meat and things like that. But I oh, don't yeah. think it's the same cyber leader as here. Maybe it no, is. No, I don't think so. But even if it was, and we just failed to perceive it, it wouldn't mean Jack to the fifth doctor, <laughs> who's met neither of them. Yeah, true. But I definitely do not think that it's the same Cyberman. This is just a straight-up cyber leader who hijacks a Gallifreyan space and time pod, which I assume we will see him do or hear him do in the next audiobook. Mm -hmm. In this audio production. production. (laughs) Nice, (laughs) nice, great minds. Were there any narrative links to the previous one? Well, when they're in the centre of the moon at the goggle box, one of the things Colin Baker says that Perry could view from the entirety of recorded human history is the founding of the Euro Combine. Oh, yeah. Which played a big part in the harvest as the Europe-wide government organization written by the quite Brexit-leaning, perhaps, writer. That's right. Oh, I forgot um, about that. <laughs> whose faceless bureaucracy just infected one of one of the the shittocrats, for want of a better term. I'm sure the writer was desperate to put that in, so you know, I just I just retconned that for you, buddy. And he was the one who turned properly evil. He was he was completely corrupted by the power of the the faceless, nameless state apparatus. So yeah. there is there is there is a mention of that. Is there there is a name check? And but is there nothing else? It. Is there nothing linking the two plots to one another? I hesitate to read all my notes I made for the harvest. <laughs> I don't think so. What was their plan? Their their plan was what even was their plan? Because I feel like perhaps the adding meat to uh, the Cybermen thing was was again a bit of a misdirect. It was in a hospital, wasn't it? It was. I, I should have listened back to our review of that. I feel like it was in a hospital and someone was conducting experiments on uh, people close to death. Yes, that, that, and so they were trying to graft organs onto That's Cybermen right, yeah. and make these weird hybrids. And the reason the Cybermen gave was, um, we've realised Earth is warm and vital, unlike Mondas. We've wearied of our cold exist- existence. We want to live lives of sensation and feeling and bring back our organic identities and the seventh doctor doubts that they can go back yeah but i don't think that's i don't think that's where it ends okay so i've looked through it and i've i've skipped forward a few scenes and it does seem to have just been a bluff and the cyber leader hey it's a cyber leader yeah was in control all along global conquest is estimated in six earth weeks so maybe it is the same chap then could be maybe it's something that we will find out in the third one there certainly was nothing in this audiobook that made me think oh right well this is a guy we've encountered before this is a you know this is the same big bad we had in the last audiobook i wouldn't know i don't remember the the last audiobook well enough to be able to say that that there were allusions to him having 
encountered the next thing previously in his timeline, you know, the next Doctor in his own timeline. Well, I think The Harvest was written as a one-off, and it was so popular or did so well. Oh, that they tacked on a couple more. Yes. Now, there's obviously more than one cyber leader as well in the history of the Cybermen. It's not like the cyber leader is the emperor of the Cybermen or whatever you want to call it, the granddaddy, the... (laughs) <laughs> the guy in charge that cyber leaders as i understand from the five doctors are just like the head of little platoons yes that's true that's my take on cyber leaders as well yeah so to link it back to that one i mean maybe they will do that when they reveal the whole 86 87 what on earth that means apart from just being a, a self-congratulatory reference there must be something else I, I refuse to believe that there is no narrative reason for it or narrative justification for it there absolutely must be anywho what, we'll what, see what what would be nice i mean this is i haven't listened to the gathering i'm, I'm saying this as if i'm gonna guess what it is i'm not i'm way off but you know doctor <laughs> who was in crisis in 86 87 maybe did something like, in particular happen in 86 87 well colin baker was it, doctor who was in its death throes because of one of the grades michael grade perhaps and you know there there were series planned and series shelved and lost stories never filmed and could 86 87 be a reference to 1986 1987 and the cybermen are gonna steal like a whole tranche of the doctor's history if that's even possible and and that would count as his future colin baker's future in in this moment i i don't know man when was colin baker's last episode i believe 86 oh right was it a christmas slash new year's episode did he end across 86 and 87 (laughs) i don't know (laughs) in that case i'm willing to believe that there's a connection (laughs) i mean we'll see yeah exactly okay i think it's time that i mention some things i like let's hear them I thought the relationship between Perry and her mom, Janine, Claudia Christian, Babylon 5. Oh my goodness. Was the strongest part. I agree. Hey! I completely, completely agree with you. And no wonder <laughs> it was it was Claudia <laughs> Christian. Oh my god, what? <laughs> I'm so excited right now. Oh, please, please come back for the Babylon 5 reboot. I'm just saying, please come back. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The mother-daughter relationship, it's the only really compelling interpersonal relationship in this entire audio drama. Yep. I don't care a tinker's cuss for what's-his-face. Already forgot. The dude who died in the first place prompting this entire story. Anthony Chambers, cyber ghost dad. You know what? I, I doubted myself. I wanted to say Anthony, and then I doubted myself. Anyway, I didn't care at all about his relationship with his kids. Every single time that we got to hear a repeat of that bloody party video and them not wanting to watch it and them watching it and saying, oh, just keep watching, kids. Oh, my God. I wanted to kill myself. Oh, dude, 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 can I stop you right there? Please. First time, entirely agreed. Was like, why are we sitting through this? This is pure torment. And then the second time, when that was the only thing that stood in the way of him converting his own children, that was properly horrific. Yes, that is true. Okay, I'm in agreement with you. I was thinking in particular of the first instance of this. Yep, yep. And the instant repeat of, let's say, a third of it just for the obvious reveal of if you keep playing there will be something else on the tape we understand oh, we're not idiots don't damn. like th- this is not a mystery not the, at uh, all i mean perry is like 
I thought I heard something. Oh, Perry, will you be quiet? Yeah, shut up, Perry. <laughs> Perry, you're so <laughs> He weird. literally says, keep playing. We understand. We're not idiots. <laughs> yeah. we, keep we, playing? I mean, is, is one of us, has one of us, does one of us have a yo-yo? Has anyone got a Game Boy? Wait! I'm sure you is just playing. meant we should continue being kids and having fun. Yeah! And never <laughs> grow up and never grow old. <laughs> That that bugged me, mm. but the mother daughter relationship was truly compelling. I'm I don't feel that I'm in a position to make any proper statements about this relationship because I've not encountered Perry and Classic Who yet. So I don't know how this works. I d- th- th- there seem to be lots of references to oh she's going on a trip, oh she's going on a trip with a couple of guys, oh the mother doesn't want her to leave, but the mother's got she's had various past relationships, yada yada yada. It, it they seem to be allusions to a character that we already know. So I'm. I'm assuming slash hoping that even if we don't meet Perry's mother on screen, we will get to know Perry's mother through Perry yeah. on screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not knowing that myself, I, I don't feel justified in making comment on it. I thought that whatever happens in Classic Who, however much this may crib or recap, it was just very complete in motivating all the characters and their emotional difficulties with each other. Perfectly realistic, or at least believable depiction of a mother's reaction to seeing her daughter, whom obviously she loves and misses greatly, but whom she even believed to be dead because she's been gone for so long without a word, without a peep. Suddenly seeing her in a moment of dire tragedy and not being able to process that as a human being, not being able to process all of the emotions that are going on at the same time and telling off her daughter when you know, you can sense with every syllable that all she wants to do is just hug her and hold her and never let her leave or get on a boat ever again. Incredibly powerful stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, Anthony, I didn't care at all about him. I mean, he only appeared as a almost fully converted Cyberman. Uh, the only- Sorry, to clarify, that relationship, that, that parental relationship, I don't care. We get to meet him through his kids, and we get to meet his kids. I don't feel that there is a parental bond there the way that I feel that there's a parental bond between Perry, whom I found quite annoying, and her mum. There isn't. There, there absolutely isn't. But that's because he only appears at his 40th birthday, not interacting really with his kids in that video. We hear <laughs> reportage, and we get to see the, the kids reacting in horror. That's no basis on which to judge a parental child bond. I beg to differ. Really? Yeah, I beg to differ because in the time of their lives, if you will, that we meet his kids, I've already forgotten their names, Nate and something? Nate and Kathy. Nathaniel and Catherine. There you go. Thank you. They they have just lost their dad. They're very vulnerable. They're both uh, reminiscing. They're, they're thinking back. They're missing him tremendously. And I, I never felt that they were particularly close to him. I never felt that there was, mm-hmm. like, their lives were all the that different for him having died and being cybered or being cybered yeah but there's still a big difference to seeing 
any scene with them together where they're all alive, where they're all alive in the conventional, un- conventionally understood way. Of, sure. Oh, you're yes. not a reanimated corpse alive with an asterisk by a technicality. It's like, how how did these people actually get on? We, we'll never know. Yeah. He's not helped by Nate's utterly dreadful delivery. And... Yeah, inability to emote where he's he's really needed to. Like, I think that's a very good point. He does, yeah. He does quite well. No, he does relatively well (laughs) later on when he's trying to sort of control his dad via the video when he's actually showing well any sort of spark whatsoever in realizing that oh, I need to, I need my dad to access his memories and that will stop him from killing us, maybe. And he's saying about, you remember our nights, our film nights, boys together, and that's the best he does. But there's one bit I want to, I want to call up as, as the yeah. counterpoint to that, because I'm not putting everything on that. It's early in part two when Claudia Christian, Janine, is saying about how Perry's just a kid. They're all just kids. Her, Kathy, and Nate. And Kathy's like, we're not just kids. Or, or, or Daniel says they're not just kids. And Nate goes, we're not. He's right. Do you remember that? <laughs> it does ring a bell, yeah. I think you're very right. In fact, I think you've highlighted where I'm very wrong. I'm erroneously equating the actor's ability to convey the emotional connection with the written emotional connection twixt the characters. To a degree, yes. They certainly don't help. No. Well, at least not to single anyone out, but to single someone out, Nate <laughs> yeah. doesn't. Yeah, absolutely not. Kathy, a bit more. Sure, maybe. yeah. But, but Nate is just, oh, no. I can't say enough bad things about Nate. But, okay, so, so to go back to Janine and Perry, any one of these things would be hokey that Perry thought that Janine moved on too quickly after her dad died, and yeah. Janine is upset that Perry hasn't been in contact. But there are enough threads just sort of woven together that it does start to feel like a a believable truth. Perry is still seen as a child by her mother. Okay, yes, that's been done a million times before, but it is also a real thing that parents don't update their mental conception of their children, sometimes well into their mid-30s, sometimes never. And the yep. kid is constantly having to prove themselves like, no, mum, I can do it. But then... I don't know what you mean. Doesn't ring a bell at all. No, no. <laughs> but then when the kid can't do it because it just does get too overwhelming, the parent does take charge. And it's not, ha ha, I told you so, you're still a child. The parent just goes into parent mode. Janine commands the scene. She's like, you go there, you go there. Perry, keep your shit together. We're going to get through this. I'm going to keep you alive because that's what I do. And she does. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's much more buried in thousands of words of notes. Oh, uh, Perry, Perry is annoyed with, with her mum's inability to instantly get what she gets. It's like, oh, he's so... Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and none of it's particularly original, but all meshed together. I thought, yeah, by far the best part. How did you find Perry's relationship to the other... Uh, I hesitate to call them kids, but to, I, I guess, Anthony's kids. And is there another young woman involved? Who are the two people that she's eavesdropping on? When she's sniveling and breathing and gurgling. 
that is her mum and Kathy. And her mum has sort of become a surrogate parent for um, Kathy and oh, Nate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because their own mother died many years before. Right, okay. And so, yeah, there's the jealousy there as well. Like, And her mum... Her mum can relate more easily to this other person's child because the stakes are lower and and the mum isn't torn apart by a million conflicting emotions like love and indulge versus bring someone up who can stand on their own two feet and you've got to be cruel to be kind and and tough love and all of this stuff. And yeah, for me, it makes perfect sense. But Kathy and Nate... It seems like Perry maybe had, and by the way, getting me this microphone sound guard yeah. before we reviewed a production that starred Perry. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> had no idea. Happy coincidence. <laughs> oh, Perry had a thing with Nate. Like, they were going out. I think in the past. Oh, I I think maybe I also had that impression, but now I can't really put my finger on it. I, I'll tell you why. Because she talks about how if, it, if things had worked out with me and Nate, you would be my bridesmaid. Yes. They, oh, well, I mean, th- that seems fairly obvious then. <laughs> yeah, but there's absolutely no hint of a spark because no, not at all. Because Nate is just burnt out like i don't know why I, I don't know what drugs he's on in the early 80s he sounds like the star quarterback because isn't that the tragedy they set up at the end oh he's paralyzed he'll never play football again he was gonna he was gonna be the tom brady oh i see i'm now wondering only because you said that i'm now wondering if this is pure speculation but have you looked at the cover of the next audiobook i haven't there's a dude on it who's totally stitched together, and I wonder if this is Tom Brady wannabe being somehow cybered in order to walk again, yada yada yada. That will definitely be it, because they said that Kathy disappeared at the end, Nate had been transferred, they had definitely... No! No, it can't be him, because Jeremy Lindsay Taylor only has this one credit, he's not coming back. Ah, uh, oh, you had a great No, maybe someone else there. voices him, because he's going to sound like a Cyberman. Ah, oh, Nick Briggs will take over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And go ahead, Nick. You know best. I'm not going to say bring Jeremy back. Yeah, who are we to complain? <laughs> we want Jeremy. It doesn't sound right. I can't even fake it. <laughs> but yeah, Kathy. Oh, I don't know. I don't really buy them either. Like they were the best of friends, and okay, they've drifted apart a bit, and they they go through the motions of of giggling like schoolgirls. Yeah. I I don't know. Okay, can I ask you a question about something that happens in this plot is in fact referenced twice and that I don't entirely get. Let me get it for you, dude. What's the dealio with the book? Oh, the book that at the beginning he is consumed uh, with worry about having left behind somewhere in the moon. Yeah, he's misplaced a publication of some sort, a book of some sort, (laughs) losing which may bring about the end of uh, life itself. Who knows? Cataclysmic consequences. And at the end, it is alluded to again, hey, wait, do you not want me to go and find that book? Uh, Yada, yada, yada. No, I thought that was going to be the B-plot. In in the beginning, I absolutely thought, oh, this is going to be the B-plot. And when we get to end of Act 2, we find out the cyber leader has had the book all along, and that's why he knows what he knows. 
you know, it, yeah, and yeah. It, maybe the book was a manual for how to how to maneuver, a, how to build a time machine, how to, whatever it was. Yeah, you know. how to build advanced future Time Lord tech. Exactly, but we never find out what that book was, and it seems at the end as though it doesn't matter at all. Did I miss something? No, you didn't miss anything, because Colin Baker says, well, I can't look for the book now. My companion is gone, and so I'm not good for anything. And that's it, and it's never revisited. Do you reckon that's the end of that thread entirely, or is this something that will lead into part three? I think it should lead into part three. Whether yeah. it will, we are yet to find out. Yeah, well, okay. I'm going to remain uh, cautiously, <laughs> keyword, optimistic. Mm. Okay, so, circling back a bit yeah. to the mother-daughter relationship. Uh, are we going to the end yet? I think so. All right, let's do it. I was thinking, oh, wow, not only has Ed Such spoiled the beginning of Perry's run for us, but we're suddenly fast-forwarding to her (laughs) exit. I thought so, too. I absolutely thought this is how she leaves the Doctor, but no. (laughs) (laughs) No, and honestly, because of what we've been saying about the mother-daughter relationship being what makes this episode worthwhile building on the intermittent action shall we say like sure. providing the the emotional grounding when the when the doctor's talking about how emotions are what life's about then surely it just points to it again as as the focus and so making that the the reason for why Perry would leave, like, oh, you have brought me home and it has been so weird, but I I have developed, I, the relationship with my mother will never be the same again. We've turned a corner. This has been an incredible thing for both of us. And we've been through it with them. And that's the only thing we've enjoyed. And then just, hmm, I'm... I'm this is odd. I'm, I'm holding the pin of a live grenade. Now, where do you suppose the other half's got to? <laughs> My notes are huge explosion. What? Stupid. Cruel. Cruel is certainly a good word in this context. It came out of nowhere. This was so incredibly sudden. I didn't feel that their reunion was properly cemented to merit it being taken away from us. Yeah. We've been reunited. Great. Fantastic. Uh, We've barely gotten to know your mum, but (laughs) yeah, there she is. Boom. There she ain't. And then Perry just immediately goes back with the doctor. Two things. One, the incredibly cruel, excellent word for this, the very cruel detail of showing Perry what she could have and then taking it away from her and putting her back on the exact same trajectory that kept her away from her mum all that time. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, Cold-blooded. But also, I can't help but wonder what this means for the TV seasons that she was on. Is there an episode, do you think, or perhaps a switch from one season to the next, where we leave them on TV with her going, uh, it's fine, I can return whenever I want. I can return to two minutes after I left and I'll see my mom again. And then the next time we see her, she's in tears because she's just l- lost her mom incredibly abruptly in an audiobook with too many breaths. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years in the future. Exactly. There's something very odd about this. Like, I wonder if the Sixth Doctor-Perry relationship is an anomaly 
family or that duo is an anomaly in the universe. Similar to how we get the fourth doctor in the, was it the National Galleries? But why would we? We get to see a younger fourth doctor regenerate into the fifth doctor, so why would there be a fourth doctor, present day Tom Baker, working in the National Guard? Hang, this makes hanging no around sense. as a caretaker. Exactly. Leon, that makes I, no I, sense. I have only one answer to that question. Here we go. Who knows? <laughs> Wish this were a video podcast, podcast land, you'd see Drew touch his nose strategically for that. Very well done. <laughs> but yeah, Do you know I, what I mean? Isn't that weird? Well, that is weird. How I reacted to it was, I thought the perfect final scene would have been Perry and Mom still having a bit of friction, still having their sort of rat-a-tat, yeah. sarcastic back and forth like they have, but it being changed and being softer and them laughing and not necessarily they're both in the kitchen washing up because those aren't what these people, these women, where they are, but they're doing something together. They're, They're seeing another part of the world. They left... Perry left when they were in Lanzarote and they can be somewhere even more exotic and perhaps there's an element of danger and they can be laughing about what they've just experienced and and with a newfound respect for each other. And it had all this... It had a future. This relationship had a future. Most definitely. They took this difficult past and they worked with it and they were like, look where it could go. Bang. No, it's not happening. Uh, Same page club. And yeah, um, I mean, I've got no attachment to Mrs. Van Geisingham. Um, Although it is cruel and summary and execution for her as well. But um, yeah, no, this this mom is a a fully rounded human being. And it's not a quirk and a twist of fate that a writer doles out to a character in Doctor Who unless they have contempt for them and no compassion and and zero value them at zero. You see what I'm saying? I absolutely see what you're saying you're you're speaking my lingo bro when we get to colin baker's era and perry how how long did you say she was on screen 84 to 86 two years yep that's a crazy amount of time so i i i will constantly bear this in mind i i i don't know what to make of it you know what it would be like it would be like i can't remember jackie's first episode but it would be like at the end of that episode like a piano falls on jackie Rose's mum, and that's it. And now Rose has no choice but to bugger off with the doctor. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. It's not the done thing. Like Colin Baker says about cybering all human life, it's just not proper. The Davison no. would have said it's not cricket, and he'd have been right as well. I was just about to say, yes, exactly. Do you think... Uh, and I'm, I'm okay. Hang on. Let me set this up. Colin Baker's Sixth Doctor, as we said at the very start of this review, we both found him to be less of an unsympathetic asshole than we've been led to believe. Yes, he was. He was ninth series Capaldi instead of series eight. Yes, <laughs> perfect. Yes, exactly. Do you think that Perry also has been reimagined? Here? Ah, now maybe, and that, and that actually she's incredibly unsympathetic on tv i don't feel like her unsympathetic nature would be foregrounded in the same way that the doctor's is the doctors can be a bastard and that is critical to the plot of the week or the show or the feel of the show if the companion is 
an Sorry. absolute knob, then yeah. presumably they deserve to just be left behind. I don't see how you could have a horrible companion trailing along for too long. Oh, wow. Buddy, uh, go back and watch Adric. <laughs> go back and watch Turlo in the beginning. I'm now warming to Turlo, but he was a total dick in the beginning. Adric was a total dick until the very last episode that he appeared on. <laughs> it appeared in. I-, I wonder if Perry also has been reimagined in the sense that either there's a discrepancy in how she's been written, and this is the the only very desperate way in which... Um, we haven't talked about the writer in 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 which Joseph Lidster, the, the Lidster, he sounds he sounds like a Lothario in American Pie Seven. The, if it's possibly a you know a desperate attempt to justify the way that her character jumps, maybe jumps arcs even on TV. Mm. I don't know. This is all speculation. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe this is actually there for a reason. And what we're criticizing is a deliberate attempt to amend an injustice perpetrated uh, against this character on TV. It's the best case scenario. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Joseph Lidster. Yes, the Lidster, the Lidmeister. The Lidsterster. <laughs> the Lidster has, uh, holy moly, has he written a lot of stuff for Doctor Who. Not just Doctor Who, also apparently written some Sherlock. The Lidster has written an episode of Torchwood, A Day in the Death. Ooh. He's written three episodes of Sarah Jane Adventures, The Mark of the Berserker, The Mad Woman, uh, some stuff. An interactive story for the Doctor Who experience bunch of short trips, and a number of episodes from the Doctor Who main range, including The Gathering. Yeah. Next up, Joseph Lidster 2.0. Next up. Which is, an, um, which I think is a very good thing. If these two parts were tacked on to an otherwise just coincidentally successful audiobook, and together they're meant to be a trilogy, it makes sense for the two things, that are t- the two excuses that make these three a trilogy to be written in the same voice. Yeah. So presumably there is stuff being set up here that actually pans out in part three. 86, 87, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. The pod. Space we'd, pod. We'd better get to that at some point then. Yeah, we should. Anyway, the, the champ's written tons more short trips. Bernie Summerfield, I've probably said that. Units, Torchwoods, torch uh, blah, 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 blah. A ton of stuff. Check it out. He also wrote I Davros, uh, Purity of I Davros. Did he? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. No, wait, I take it back. Sorry. In I Davros, in Purity, he, I think this is an, an, um, an actor reference. He played a Khaled officer. Let me just double check this. Yeah, I take that back. He did not write this, but he played in it. He was an actor in it. Oh, nice. He's carving out a nice little career. For himself. The, the Lidster is a... Uh, he seems to be somewhat of a fixture in the uh, BBC slash Big Finish universe. Yeah, he's not exactly blowing the lid off, but he's there or thereabouts, chipping in. He's there licking the lid so no one else wants a sip. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could finish on a few things that we really enjoyed? Yes, let's do that. I was going to say more about Colin Baker. Oh, let's hear it! And how... He's really got a good tone of voice for a mystery. Oh my goodness, yes. Because you can practically hear him salivating when he finds this <laughs> this pod in the backyard. And he's like, I wonder what's inside. I I have to go inside. It's like he can't stop himself. He's like, everybody else, 
you need to leave me alone with this right now. Like, oh get goodness. out of sight. Don't look back. You won't like what you see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when, when he's, um, he's pursuing the mystery earlier, and he says in a particularly just enjoyable tone, tell me what happened. And it's like, ah, oh, this is Colin's wheelhouse. This is what Colin lives for. This is what the sixth doctor is animated by all around the universe. Like, what can I yeah. stick my nose into? Go on then, what did you like? I, I also, I, sorry, I'm scrolling through my notes here. I, I also have a number of Colin Baker highlights, among others, the scene where he's emptying his pockets into the policeman's hands. The scene itself <laughs> is probably a little bit too long, but holy moly, is Colin Baker delightful. And that is, by the way, perfect example of show don't, don't tell. We don't have... It's not layered with sound effects of clink, clonk, plonk, plink, plonk, all these things that are coming out of his pocket. Spinning hubcap. But the way that he's delivering his reaction to stuff, it you can see the scene unfold before your eyes. It's it's wonderful. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, truly enjoyed the scene of Doc breaking what's-his-chops, uh, Daniel, Daniel Woods, Daniel something? Yep. Daniel Woods, uh, out of jail. Hilarious. Oh, as in, I've got a coffee and I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah. That's that's so good. The logic, the, the way that he NLPs the cyber policeman, hilarious Lloyd, ingenious <laughs> bit of writing. Wow, he acts the crap out of the, every scene that he's in. And you know what? Uh, production in general, I feel like maybe it, we've really only said negative things about produ- the production. There are a number of elements of the production that are truly impressive. And that highlight that they do what we hope to be able to emulate in our own productions. Yep, you've already Uh, mentioned the opening radio-esque montage. Yes. I was going to say, not every, but almost every single transition between locations, I found, like, I, I actively thought... Well done, Big Finish. (laughs) Really? Oh, nicely done. Uh, Also, just the layering of of effects in there. I've made a couple. I know I've got a couple of bullet points about this in my little mini. But because on a few occasions it goes overboard. But they've gone to such. They've made such an effort to make every single location sound right. Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Well, I I mean, rain is a very simple thing that you would expect any audio production to get right. But boy, do you feel like you're in a downpour? Yeah. When that kicks off. Yeah. I. You were so right about the uh, the transitions because there is a long stretch at the end towards the end of part one. It's too long a stretch. It should be 10 minutes shorter. Both parts could stand to lose about 15 minutes each, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And so about 50 minutes in, there are two parallel scenes going on for some time. It's the Doctor is with Daniel Woods in the graveyard, and everyone else is watching the video. Yeah. And you're never in... I mean, obviously there's different characters in different places, Uh, But even when they start to mix it up, you're never in any doubt where you are. You you can be in doubt about who's talking because Kathy and Perry and Janine all blend together a bit uh, to my less acquainted British ear um, with whatever accents they are doing. But but location-wise, extremely clear. Yeah, agreed. 
I mean, the the bits where it goes a little overboard, do you feel like maybe sometimes it was a little too loud? There was one bit that annoyed me specifically, which was when you've got Janine trying to talk down Cyberdad via yeah. the video in the center and the right, and in the left, panned hard left, you've got... Here we go. You've got Perry chuntering away to Nate, who's groaning on the floor. <laughs> Because he's his back's broken. Why he hasn't yeah. been killed, or I, I don't know what. Um, I suppose it was a failed conversion because because there wasn't actually any conversion going on. Um, so he was just mutilated, which is another horrible thing to think about to add to the list of horrible, horrific things which they did extremely effectively. I'm getting way off topic. You've got you've got Nate hard left. You've got Perry almost there. You've got. Just, Two more characters in the middle. You've got a video chuntering away on the right, which is a video of a party scene where there's someone holding a camera and there's people in the background and there's the main guy saying, oh, no, don't, don't point that thing at me. I've got nose hairs and I'm 40. It's, it's like <laughs> 10 or 11 different things to process orally in that scene you're right way too much way yeah that's the thing so sometimes it just goes a little bit overboard i mean both kudos tremendous efforts but sometimes maybe show a little bit of restraint yeah holy smokes is there any any last thing that you would like to address i feel like we need to address the relationship between colin baker and perpigillian brown Mm. Take us away. Excellent point. Yeah. I mean, they are spiky. It's meant to be hilarious. Were you hilarialized? I was not. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to diss a Dr. Companion pairing that I have not seen on screen. I, I, I was not. In fact, there were a couple of scenes where I, I, I couldn't tell you now which scenes. They were probably early on. But I do remember, very distinctly remember, thinking maybe they didn't record this at the same time. No, I was basically oh. thinking back to the way that we were recording or we are recording the strange readings scenes. Having dialogues where both parties in the dialogue are actually in entirely separate rooms, possibly separate countries sending us separate audio files and, and they're just being stitched together to sound like they're in the same room. Yep. And sometimes they just maybe felt like there was a lack of chemistry or bants, which I don't know if they were there on screen i assumed that they were but uh yeah I, I didn't really i didn't really feel a bond between this doctor and this companion no i get the perhaps mocking impressions of a doctor by the companion and the way he speaks maybe that's some people's bag that's some people's dream companion but when she did impressions of colin baker like oh it's a be a terrible thing or whatever the Frick it was yeah, really early on. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. Perry, just in every way. So annoying. I've made a note of Oh yeah. Murder in the graveyard. Spooky. Just to give Perry the benefit of the doubt, uh -huh. I mentioned two companions previously, Adric and Turlow, whom I loathed. I very much wanted, very much wanted every time Adric turned a corner for him <laughs> to step on a nail or have a grand piano land on his head. I hated that guy. And I wonder if 
the same thing will happen to Perry because towards the end, I did warm to Adric. Tegan is another example. Did you oh. listen to the trailer for the next one? Tegan's going to be in the next one. Tegan oh, no, Joranka. I didn't. No. And, uh, oh, sorry, I just spoiled that. But yeah, so in the trailer for the next one, it's revealed Tegan Jovanka is going to be in the next one. And thus, I have to say, like, Tegan is another one of these characters that at the start, I didn't, I did not feel any kind of affinity for whatsoever. But a few episodes in, all of a sudden, I adored her. And I still do. Hmm. And whenever she's written badly I, or poorly, I feel like it's an injustice made towards the character rather than the way that I felt at the start when the character was introduced, which was just, this character is shit. And <laughs> so far, we've only had the one story with Perry, namely this one. And potentially, we are going to change our minds or we would change our minds if we had a few more Perry stories under, the, under our belts. And uh, so I, I do wonder if maybe eventually I'll, I'll just come to enjoy her and her banter or relationship, her rapport with the Doctor. If she was on TV for two years, then there's something to enjoy there. Yeah, and I get that their relationship is mature by this stage. And that is how Colin Baker can be tolerant of, yeah. of yes. this behaviour. So, yes, it maybe feels unearned and abrupt when we hear it way out of order. Yeah, exactly. I also just didn't think there was any wit to it. No, no, I... (laughs) I'm so sorry, Lidster. Yeah, I agree with you, Drew. Totally. And my last thing I'm going to say before my rating is an addendum to what your previous point was about the lovely production and the stereo work. When you had some of the clones of Alan and Alan 32 was in your ear going, I'm Alan. And then Alan 17 was going, I'm Alan as well. <laughs> just over on the left. <laughs> yeah. A whole moon full of Alans coming at you from all directions. It was, it was wonderful. Alan had more funny lines in his five minutes than Perry did in two hours. Unfortunately. Like when yes. he's talking about the original Alan would have loved it. And so, so do we, or whatever it was. <laughs> Agreed. All that said, shall we try to rate this? Let's! And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings! I just won the nose on finger game? Wait, no I didn't. I just won the finger on nose game comprehensively, podcast land. Unopposed! You did. I've actually written a whole bunch of bullet points, but they're very disjointed, so I I apologize in advance if this mini makes no sense. What I want to say is, for all of its flaws and yada yada yada, it's a neat story. It it is often creepy, like an like an alopecic goat's nutsack with what? elements of zombie fiction. Like when they're locked in the house, for example, it feels very Romero-esque. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, there are tingles of invasion of the body snatchers. I'm thinking in particular of the police officers and the journalists, obviously. But I'm starting very high level. It feels really rather long. And yep. oh my goodness, the voice work is terribly distracting. Every single time a non-American spoke with a faux American accent, my ears wanted to take themselves round the back and shoot themselves in the head. <laughs> I hated it. Let's go through some some grander details. Uh, the Doctor. First encounter I've had with Colin Baker, as I said. He's moody, he's witty, he's pompous, he's lacking in and or brimming with empathy. Hmm. He's attracted to women in fuchsia. Why wouldn't he? It's Ivanova. Uh, he's ingenious. <laughs> in a word, he is great. So many hilarious... We didn't talk about the humor of this episode. There are so many hilarious lines, most of which, if not all of which, are delivered by Colin Baker. I've only written one example here, which is, you can really smell the cyanide, and I usually take mine with a splash of milk. <laughs> Love him too. Bits. 
Everybody else, though, every well, I should say, everyone who is not American and consequently is just a little bit annoying to me, I could have done without. And that is, that's most of this audiobook. The faux American gossiping scene, it makes me want to throw up in my lap. Companions, Perry, first encounter with Perry as well. Well, like I said, I look forward to meeting her on TV. And that is, uh, maybe I said this before as well, but it's because I, I think on her own, she's probably less annoying than she is here en masse with people trying to deliver a Perry-esque accent. But then I didn't necessarily want her. I didn't feel that she was particularly well... I'm so sorry, Lidster. She didn't seem particularly well-written to me. I'll give you an example. I don't know when in her run this takes place, if this is at the start or at the end, but why is she surprised to be travelling through time in the TARDIS? She's been travelling in the TARDIS. In the beginning, she steps into the TARDIS and steps out in 1984, and she's like, that's amazing. We've, like, gone out and it gone out of the TARDIS, and it's a whole new time and space out there. Oh, yeah. You're fucking hell, Perry. You've, you're a companion. Why do you not know this? And that's kind of the thing. Like, after two hours of this audiobook, I still have no major opinions of her. So I, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to uh, reserve judgment until I meet her on screen. Cyber leader? Yeah, okay, fine. I like that he attempted to first contact the Doc, and I like that Doc uh, rogue nationed him right back. But it falls a little flat as it dissipates about as quickly as it's appeared. There's not enough time afforded to to the cyber leader's maniacal crescendo and so when it's undone by the doctor it wasn't particularly effective to me all the other cybered individuals how do i put this lightly they were slow talking ineffectual unsympathetic uncharismatic yada 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 thank you next uh production <laughs> Too loud is the bullet point I've written here, but really what the emphasis should be on is way too breathy. I think this is the breathiest bloody audiobook we've ever reviewed. I think they got a bulk discount on breaths. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, the, the, the scene where Perry, we already heard it, you know, when Gidget and Ginger Lee are slanging her off and you're like, oh, why couldn't she just be dead in a bush somewhere? I might get laid and we have to hear those <laughs> yeah. fucking breaths in the background. It make me want to shoot myself in the face. Too many wet mouth sounds. I think they literally added wet, wet mouth sounds in there. I hate wet mouth sounds. Well, that's that's to contrast with the anatomy of the Cybermen, because mucus and fluids are what life is all about. <laughs> that's right. No, you're absolutely right. I'm now salivating at the concept of life. So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But all of those production negatives aside, we already said this, and I really do want to hammer, hammer home. It is so layered. Every scene contains myriad sound effects and ambience effects and score, great score, no, and multiple I'll, actors I'll on many occasions. That's another layer in there. And of course, like you know, there are stings. You name it. There is so much happening in every scene. So well done. Uh, let's boil this down so that I can finally round this off. Greatest asset, humor, production values, Colin Baker, biggest flaws. Where do I start? Uh, <laughs> bad guys aren't fleshed out. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> there are too many silences that should have been truncated. Yada, yada, yada. Production goes into the negatives as well. And then at the end, what the actual what? You know, that we get 90 seconds of Perry being orphaned. It's as mm. harrowing as it is disjointed. I Something like that needed more time. 
more time. More time than uh, Colin Baker putting his hand around her, his arm around her and going, there, there, back yeah, into the I don't, TARDIS. I don't want the companion to... Exactly, I don't want the companion to be humanised at the very end through a dreadful tragedy only to immediately fade into the closing credits. That's not how that works. That's not how the human heart works. I simply disapprove. Anyway, sod it. Oh, I... Okay, here, here's the journey of my rating. Before we press record, I'd written 2.1. Oh, wow. Then you talked me down to 2.0. Oh. Now I'm thinking I might have talked myself down a little bit more. No, I'm, you know what? I'm going to stay there. I'm going to stay at a 2.0 out of 5. Okay. Because they really tried and they did a tremendous job, but it just, the, the, the content could have been better. Yeah. Sorry, that was such a long... You know what? Dude, I was Next in... Next time, sus- I'm just going to script this. I was in suspense <laughs> until the final moment, and you managed to surprise me. Is that more than you can say about this audiobook? <laughs> I mean, maybe. There were times when... And I'm now moving into my rating. There were times when I barely wanted to continue with this, and that isn't entirely this audio's fault. Early in the second part, when Colin Baker was talking about how usually Cybermen work with the living, and now they're converting the dead, and I realised, oh wait, this is prefiguring death in heaven. But also, it's in my notes. It's in my notes. But yes. Also, at the same time, prefiguring the master race in the end of time, which was four years after this audio was released, where poor old Wilfred Mott is worrying that his wife Eileen is now lying in the ground with her head shaking back and forth, turning into the master. And so all that was piling together and all that came after this episode. But having not really enjoyed those two others necessarily, I was like, oh, really? There's an hour to go? (laughs) Because this was two hours... 10 maybe once you take out all the trailers that appeared before and after and it needed to be an hour 40 if not a tight 90 not at all i i get that big fish operate on a or at least back then operated on a sort of two cd principle for a, a big double disc episode like this and a cd is 75 minutes if you only get 45 minutes perhaps as a customer you should feel shortchanged well it's about quality not quantity buddy I wasn't a quantity specialist at Taylor and Francis. I was a quality specialist, damn it. <laughs> Take that past employer. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have quantity specialists and with good reason. <laughs> they did a lot right in this episode. As you say, Leon, a lot of it was creepy as balls. A lot of the audio was marvelously put together with technical wizardry. Mm. I liked the Doctor's foiling of the Cyberman at the end because we've just watched the end of Capaldi's run and I recognised the Mondasian cyber voice box instantly and there was such joy in that knowing more than the Cyberman himself did. You're back on Mondas, you Wally. But then it is all over very quickly and Colin just escapes and you don't really get to revel in it. I have a closing question for you. Anyone got an opening question you say every week? I have a closing question. Interesting. What has happened to Anthony Chambers? Cyberdad, he's still standing in the building next to the church waiting for a cyber order. Oh my goodness. Wait, no, we're never given any closure on that, are we? No. It didn't dawn on me until now. You've opened my eyes to some to a huge flaw here. Okay, I'll tell you what happened to Anthony Chambers. Okay. Because of the absence on Earth of the cyber leader and the cyber control for that that reason, Cyber Anthony is now 
a cybered Anthony the way that we had Cyber Bill. And Cyber Anthony is now wearing a hat, a gigantic oversized coat, <laughs> and is uh, like selling apples at the market. Yeah, and occasionally when no one buys any, getting angry, blowing up the entire market. Exactly. Which leads me on to my biggest beef with this episode, which is the Chibnall-esque callousness with which the secondary <laughs> characters are treated and in fact disposed of the second that daniel woods started opening up to kathy about his wife i was like this scene is entirely superfluous wait no it's not one of them's gonna buy it maybe both of them but two minutes later daniel woods was dead on the floor yeah yeah and i could see it coming a mile off and it's something chibnall does he talks about what are the important emotional connections this character has with someone else we've just started doing a count up from the woman who fell to earth we're at one in this there are two but it's it 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 bumps off daniel woods that i could live with but to do the same to to perry's mum yeah yeah unforgivable to babylon 5 royalty no less yeah I mean, I get that you can only get a guest star of that caliber once in a blue moon, but leave her an opening to come back. Ah, oh, what are you doing, guys? Um, to, to steer back to some more positives, Nicola Bryant amazed me twice. First, with just how annoying a voice she could muster. I did not think humans were capable of such extremities of expression. But two hours plus later, her acting had made me almost entirely forget it by the end. She has a number of tearful scenes, and I found them progressively more affecting. When she's talking to Anthony Chambers, who she was sort of close with, I guess, I was a bit moved even then. And then when it's her mum at the end, like, oh dear, I, I was halfway to welling up. So well done, Nicola Bryant. On the whole, I think this is just about positive but barely. Interesting. I'm going to give it a 2.7. Oh, wow. 2.7. Okay. I really did enjoy Colin Baker. Oh, Colin Baker's what makes this. Yeah. Right. Well, that's us, but that's not all, because we have not one, not two. JK, we have just one (laughs) listener mini. How about we have a listen to that one? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. This listener mini comes from Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. What up, Kieran? What up, indeed. Thanks for providing a rare audio review. Yes, thank you very much. What luck? Uh, keep them coming, by the way. Yeah, indeed. How does Kieran start? <laughs> well, Kieran starts. Hi, folks. So you've decided to flash forward in your audios. Well, this is a good one, though I'll be honest, and it's been a while since I listened to it. Perry! Well, you haven't got to her yet on the classic channel, though not far off, so she might come across as slightly odd. This story provides a fair chunk of background to her home life, which we don't get a lot of in the actual show. Interesting. It's also set in between Colin's two seasons, so her relationship with the Doctor is a bit more mellow than it was at times on the show. Yes, I believe it started off fairly tempestuously. Perhaps even sort of bordering on violently. Kieran continues, this one has a strong link with The Gathering, which I assume you are reviewing next. Oh, yes. In the audio channel, yes. (laughs) Could be a few months, but yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, Kieran says, it'll be interesting to hear what you think after that audio. Personally, I do think this the stronger audio, though. Oh. <laughs> Kieran continues, ooh, a Commander Zeng cameo. Listen to spare parts to get that reference. Oh, Okay, well, I guess we have another audiobook that we need to listen to. Yeah. And Kieran concludes a slightly hazy memory of a four out of five. Seems I'm not the only one who is having issues with my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you very much, Kieran. Four out of five. Holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. Check out the big heart on Kieran. Yeah. Unlike Anthony Chambers, Kieran, you do require parties. People who are not Kieran, please, please do the right thing and high-five Kieran online. Kieran can be found at KJ Evans. What, Drew? Two. The number. <laughs> That's true. Not the That's adverb exactly or right. the preposition. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. And yeah, we expect a review of The Gathering next. Yeah. So, speaking of what's next up, what is next up? Because there's plenty of Doctor Who left to go. Next, we're probably doing a classic, not probably, definitely doing a classic Who review. It's going to be of what's true? Resurrection of the Daleks. Dang right. Now that you're the one predicting that, I think that means you're going to have to guest on it. What? That's a rule I just made up. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Be that way. I will join you for Remembrance of the Daleks, a classic Who adventure I have actually seen. Oh, really? Thanks to Michael Ridgway. With Michael (gasps) Ridgway. Ridgway. (laughs) Hello, Michael. So big. Happy Michael. (laughs) <laughs> even in this episode <laughs> he's ubiquitous he's all over the place he, how could he not be he's so big he is all over the place he's in ghana now really yeah, kenya oh wow enjoy ghana yeah uh that's classic we also have a new who review coming up presumably after said classic that's going to be of the ghost monument as i recall one of the best episodes of doctor who ever made Oh, this is another having issues with my memory joke. (laughs) I see. At some point, we will get around to the next audio who, which is going to be, obviously... The Gathering. Kieran will brook no other. (laughs) And at some point, we will also do another bonus who episode, and next in line, most likely, is going to be the fifth Doctor retrospective. Wowee. Not many episodes left to go there. Um, Mm. But the fun doesn't end there, Podcast Land, because you can say hi to us online, and we will most likely say hi to you right back, because that's the fine chaps that we are. Uh, Drew, where can people find you? I can be found with increasing rarity at Drew back when. (laughs) Way to sell yourself (laughs) and excellent branding. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) What about you though, Uh, Leon? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Podcast Land, you can find me at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. I refuse to change it. I've decided. I refuse. High-five me online. I will high-five you right back. Right back. You hear? That's right. Who would refuse such an offer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure talking into your earballs this evening and it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you drew oh, thank you very much leon p-o-n-k-e-n Ponkin. until the next time please rock on be rad and excellent to each other and cha-chao bye-bye Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of Who Back When. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?